The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Every once in a while when it comes to the readings, there's a little problem. You see, you can't read everything. The service would just go on and on, and so sometimes you have to make a deliberation. Where am I going to start? Where am I going to end? And how am I going to try and preserve the thematic similarities between the various assigned readings? And with all due respect to the history of the church, while they got it right most of the time, every once in a while, one just kind of slips through. And today happens to be one such occasion. I'm sure that you heard these words from Isaiah 29. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book and then you recalled the healing of the deaf and mute man, which Jesus performed in the reading from Mark chapter 7, and the connection was made then and there. This is why these two readings were chosen. God promises healing and restoration of hearing to the deaf, and Jesus grants it later in Mark. And if you thought that, congratulations, you were exactly right. That is a point of connection between these two readings. And indeed, it is what lies at the very heart of the book of Isaiah, the promise that God shall send his Christ to heal the afflictions of his people, that as his people walk in darkness, he should shed light upon them through his Christ that as his people are downtrodden and afflicted, they should find liberation through his holy servant who shall redeem them from their sins, whose acceptable sacrifice shall set people at liberty from captivity to the devil, and whose holiness should make up for the sins and misdeeds of his people. That is the very heart of Isaiah's prophecy, and it is that which is revealed to us in the Gospels of our Lord. There is, however, a bit more. And in order to really understand this connection, we must back up a bit, both in Isaiah 29 and also in Mark 7. For you see, earlier in Isaiah chapter 29, we have this word of reproof that comes from the Lord. 
a word that condemns his people for their sins and for their misdeeds. We read, the Lord said, because this my people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as commandments the doctrines of men. And it is these very words which Jesus uses in speaking against the Pharisees earlier in Mark chapter 7. For the Pharisees themselves are following in the pattern that is established by their forefathers in Israel. They seek to find fault with Jesus, not by going to the word of God, not by going to those commandments which have been clearly spoken, but by using their own judgments, by establishing what they in their own minds believe to be right, and by holding Jesus accountable to that. There is all the veneer of piety in what they are saying. There is an appearance of godliness, but in fact their hearts are far from the Lord. They know not what God has truly said, for if they did, in this very moment they should put aside everything that they have held against Christ and accept him as their Lord. If truly their hearts were with God, if truly they understood the scriptures that they claimed to revere, they would know in this moment who was standing before them, and they would listen to him. They would listen to what he was saying, and they would speak what he had commanded them to speak. They would be like his disciples, drawing life and salvation and hope from his words, and then passing on that message of the gospel to all of those whom they had been called to speak to. Instead, their hearts, their ears, and their mouths are shut to Christ. Their hearts shut from his call to repentance, their ears shut to his words of lives, their mouths shut to the gospel which he would have them proclaim. It is precisely in this context that we must understand his healing of this man. For the Lord gave that prophecy that the deaf should hear the words of a book and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind should see. He gave these words after calling the leaders of Israel in those days to repentance. That these people were to be restored was to be a sign against those who continued in their perverted ways those who continued in the ways of injustice and murder and idolatry, the healing of these people was to be a sign to them that it was time to stop, that it was time to listen, that it was time for those who had gone astray in spirits to come to understanding and for those who murmur to accept instruction. And so when Jesus provides this healing to this man, what ought it have been to those Pharisees but a sign that it was time to stop? That it was time to stop laying snares in Jesus' way, trying to trip him up over things that God did not truly care about. That it was time to stop seeking to make him an offender in the eyes of the people and instead 
to accept him as their Lord and to do as he commanded. But this is not what they did. They did not receive this reproof. They did not hear the word of God then, and they did not hear it now either. And even as the Lord would continue to go on and perform many more miracles in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, as he would continue to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to restore sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, to set at liberty those who were captive to sin, death, and the power of the devil, still their hearts would not turn to him. Still they would not believe. And they would lay before him what was in their mind the ultimate snare. The snare of the cross. The place where they would finally make him to be the sinner that they wanted him to be. The place where they could point at him on the cross and see, say, see, this is what he deserves. This is what he deserves for leading Israel astray. This is the just condemnation of this sinner. Yet even there on that cross, it would prove not to be the snare of Christ, but a snare for them. A snare for sin, a snare for death, a snare for Satan himself. For in the cross of Christ, there all of these things would meet their end. There, full life and healing would be granted. There the deaf should truly hear the righteous sentence of the Lord and the great promise of his forgiveness. There the blind should finally see the love of God made manifest for us. There the meek should find joy, knowing that they have been liberated from this world and from the torments of the devil. There the poor in mankind shall see the Holy One of Israel, dead and hanging for their sins and soon raised for their life and their justification. There the scoffer ceases his scoffing. There those who watch evil are cut off. There all human wisdom is destroyed. There all human cunning is made worthless. And there God has made his people. There by his own hands he has remade the children of Jacob, that they would sanctify his name, that they would sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and stand in awe of the God of Israel, who had worked such marvelous things for their salvation. And so what then should we do? How should we understand what our Lord has done for us? Well, we might see ourselves in two people, in all of this. First, we might see ourselves as those Pharisees. For indeed, there was no sin in their heart that does not reside in our hearts as well. The same evil that was at root in them is at root in our own hearts, leading us to cast doubt onto God's word where it conflicts with our desires and with our designs. We should see ourselves in them, and we should heed the call that they failed to heed, understanding that in this work of God that we are being called to cast aside our sins, that we are being called to repentance, that we are being called to put away our own thoughts, our own desires, the sinful desires of our flesh and of our own will, and instead to put on Christ. 
to cast aside our own hopes and dreams and instead accept for ourselves the yoke of Christ, to hear his word and to speak it. And second, we should see ourselves also in this deaf and mute man. For we ourselves were spiritually deaf and spiritually mute, unwilling to hear the word of God and unconcerned with speaking it again as he has called us. But Christ has had compassion upon us. Christ has spoken his word of forgiveness. Ephetha, be you opened. Let your heart be open to the Christ and to his gospel. Let your ears be open to the words of his absolution. Let your mouth be open to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. May your whole heart, mind, and spirit be open to Christ and to the gifts of his word and sacraments which he outpours for you. And remember that as Christ has worked a miracle in the healing of this man, so too he has worked a more excellent miracle in your healing. For indeed, it is truly nothing to open ears and loose tongues compared with the greater miracle of recreating a heart that is dead in sin. What is the meager miracle we read of today compared to the greater miracle of granting to you life and salvation by his blood. Indeed, you have been the recipient of a greater and more excellent work of God. Let it be your source of joy. Let it be your source of new and fresh joy for the meekness of your heart. Let it be the font of your exaltation in the Holy One of Israel, and let it be your stay and comfort in all times of your anxiety and even in the day of death knowing that because of the Lord, it shall not have hold over you. Death shall not restrain you. The devil shall not lay claim to you. But life shall be your portion, and Christ your prize. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.